I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Happy Hot Stove season, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. Derek, you know it's hot stove season when you turn on MLB Network in the morning, and they're live, for one, during the week, and uh, and number two, they're all wearing winter hooded or, or uh, like, fleece sweaters. Right. Talking about baseball. Fingerless Matt gloves. Matt Vaskersian <laughs> in his nice, you know, fluffy sweater. Uh, they bring in, you know, Ken Rosenthal with like a fire crackling in the background as he right. talks about potential U Darvish contracts. So happy hot stove. Thank season. you, and to you as well, my friend. I figured we could jump into probably the most interesting story of the offseason. I think around baseball, it's the most interesting story. There are two that really jump out to me. Where will Robbie Grossman end up? I think batting fourth, playing DH. Oh, you, <laughs> you mean just in general? I think that uh, there are two that intrigue me a lot, and it goes beyond the ordinary free agent du jour. You know, who's the best on the market? You, Darvish, maybe. Where's he going to end up? That's interesting, but you, you have that every year. Two interesting things to me are, okay, so we think the baseball's juiced, and we think they might have been using like a slipperier baseball in the World Series. We going to do anything about that? Or are we going to have the Eduardo Escobars of the world hit 20 to 25 bombs and just let that be the new baseball. And that's fine. I'm actually fine with that for now. Sure. It made baseball I... more exciting. It gave you an epic game five. Yep. And sometimes conditions evolve. I mean, sure. in the 1800s, I saw I saw a note on Twitter today that Clayton Kershaw was one of like five pitchers ever to strike out more than 200 and walk fewer than 30 in a season. Okay. And uh, one of them was from 1884 okay. when it took <laughs> six balls to walk somebody. Oh, so, you, wow. so uh, not four balls, but six balls to uh, to walk somebody. Okay, so, so like th- things change in baseball sure. over time. And so I'm that's to me the second most interesting. Are we going back to six balls equals a walk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say so, yeah, the boys are going to come and play some baseball, throw it around the horn, and uh, yeah, rule it, changes all around. Interesting. We do go to the throwback joke because the guy that I wanted to talk about as the second most interesting thing about this off season has been dubbed Japan's Babe Ruth. You know the guy I'm talking about, Shohei Shohei. Otani. So I've just been going with Otani because sure. I don't know with 100% confidence how to pronounce his first name. It's S H O H E I. Hard same. Shohei, Shohei. Hard same on the uh, trying to avoid his first name whenever possible due to lack of understanding. Yeah. For me. But I've heard, uh, so JP Morosi says Shohei as if it's like W A Y. I saw an interview soft from H. last year. Uh, Joel Sherman was on MLB Network talking about him, but you can never quite decipher with his accent what he's saying. So I just steered clear of that one. And uh, I knew somebody who studied for a year in Japan who says, well, every – and please feel free, somebody, to correct me if I'm wrong, but that a name like Shohei – would pronounce the H, and you'd give equal emphasis to both syllables. Was that Dan Gladden who studied a year in Japan oh, in the eighties? No, it was not. Uh, so there are some interesting nuggets before we get into the, the twins aspect of this. We're not just oblivious idiots who, well, we are sometimes, but we're not just oblivious idiots who don't know how to pronounce the, the name of one of the more high-profile free agents. There is a cloud of mystery that surrounds Otani. In fact. 
baseball agency, so the Scott Borises, and he wound up signing, I believe, with CAA for yeah. his agency. Which uh, is important, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, they had to submit proposals without having even met Otani face-to-face. His family handled all the proposals. Nobody really knows where he prefers to live or what type of team he prefers to play for or if a major league team decided, hey, we want to just – you're going to pick either hitter or pitcher because he's great at both. We don't really know which one he prefers. In fact, 23 years old, the last two years, so as a 21- and 22-year-old in Japan, he's hit 320 with the highest OPS of any hitter, or maybe the second-highest OPS, right in there in the mix. And he also throws 100 miles an hour and has a career 2.52 ERA and the top strikeout rate of any starter in the league the last couple years. And the good news for the Twins, Derek, is, according to a Bob Nightingale in USA Today, the Yankees, Twins, and Rangers are able to pay Otani more money out of their remaining international free agent signing pool than any other team. So the way this works now is each team is given a pool of money between July. It's it's a July to June calendar, mm-hmm. and it's between like $4.75 million and $5.25 or something. So it's around $5 million. And most teams spend that money or the, or the chunk of that money on international Latin American free agents. So Dominican Republic players, the 16-year-old Miguel Sano types, you might spend a million dollars on a signing bonus to get him into your system. Well, the Yankees, Rangers, and Twins have saved all around $3 million of that five-ish million dollar pool. You can trade for that money as well if you want to. And I'm wondering, like, are all these teams saving that money specifically for Otani? And some are just going to be left with not much because most of the signings take place, you know, in a certain time of year. So the fact that the Twins are in a position with sort of a capped, uh, even playing field here because Otani is 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 young enough to not qualify for like those U Darvish one hundred million dollar uh, bidding wars, the Twins have a legit shot at the Japanese Babe Ruth, and it's going to be interesting to see how they attack the next several weeks. So many questions that need to be answered. So many things that I'm not sure about, but that we could really just speculate. Um, but yeah, actually, it was an Associated Press report that compiled the money that pe- teams have left, and the Twins are one of the top three. The Rangers are at the top, but like, it's not a huge difference. No, it's not like and, fifth. It's going to come down to where he wants to play more than the money. Here's why it's important. So there's even an open question about: Is this the winter Otani decides to come to the United States? Because he stands to gain a lot if he were to wait, play two more years in Japan, get clear of this silly international bonus pool cap that Major League Baseball has put on. I believe 25 years old is the... He has to be 25, as is he's 23. So if you were his agent or his advisor and your goal was to maximize career earnings in salary, you'd say, why don't you sit tight? Why don't you just make sure the injury stuff, you dealt with a little ankle, a little hamstring or, or thigh injury, I believe they are, they're terming it in the papers dealt with some of that this season and get that behind you keep putting up numbers hit some bombs keep throwing 100 do your thing man 2 years and then we'll be chilling on it because experts and i use that word in air quotes because we all just get to pretend that we're experts in this realm is they're sort of saying man if he was a pure free agent today teams value the talent and the two-way talent no less so much that he might sign for two hundred million, two hundred and fifty million, or three hundred million dollars. We're talking unprecedented contracts for a twenty-three-year-old that Phil, you and I aren't sure how to say his first name. 
And that's more of a disrespect to us than him. It's just a point that there's this big mystery man from Japan who's supposed to be probably a superstar as a pitcher and has the ability to hit, too. I I think he's sort of seen as more of a pitcher who hits than a hitter who can throw 100. Well, and quite frankly, if you have secondary pitches off of a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, Right. Like that's just that's it's the most over. valuable thing. Yeah, it's over. That's if the you most can stay healthy, thing. Mm-hmm. if you can stay healthy, and and it's again totally shrouded in mystery. Just fun to to speculate about, fun to talk about, fun to think about. But what I'd say to the people who will immediately dismiss this, and they didn't download this podcast because they're like, okay, that's a clickbait headline. But to me, if you were to say, well, the Twins win a bidding war for a three hundred million dollar mystery man, fine, dismiss that. But that's not what this is. This is very different than if Shohei Otani were to be, you know, born in the United States and just whatever, decided he wanted to go to college or something like that, so finishes up university and is now looking for a job uh not being subject to the amateur draft. Like that's that's a made up scenario. That's not how this works. In this case, if he were to come to the United States this year, which I, I mentioned the agency, the fact that he hired CAA and Nesbolello as his uh, United States representative is important because it's thought to help bridge the gap between the Players Association, the league offices, to make sure that there's an agreement in place that benefits all parties that says, okay, yes, our posting system as you knew it, as, as the Twins got the rights for a Byung-ho Park, for example, the posting system that you know expired last week. It expired a week ago. But the rumor, the sort of innuendo around the industry, you've seen multiple reports surface with this, I think most notably Joel Sherman at the New York Post saying, yeah, but they're probably just going to roll that system over. Yeah, it's going to be the same for one the more year. I, don't, I think that might even be semi-official now. Um, the latest, I, well, maybe. Uh, it's it's not done the latest I read, but that like wink, wink, nudge, nudge mm-hmm. is probably going to happen. And let's be honest, Otani, probably a big reason why it's going to happen. Because the difference between what a new system might look like and what the old system might look like might be in the order of 15 to $20 million going to his current club, the Nippon Ham Fighters. Nippon Ham, I think, actually it is. I've heard it both ways. Um, the... The old posting system would limit how much a team could bid to, say, the fighters um, to say, all right, here is what we're going to pay you for the right to exclusively negotiate with a client who's under contract for you. Let him walk from that contract, and we'll give you this fee. Capped at $20 million, a guy like this would probably get that $20 million fee. Under the new system, or the one that's going to kick in eventually, that's been agreed to but I think not ratified – and and now might wait for another season, is, okay, you're going to get a percentage of it, whether it's 10 15 or 20%, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a small percentage of whatever this guy ends up signing for. Subject to those same caps that he was going to have to be subject to as an under-25 international free agent. So if the Texas Rangers swooped in and signed this guy for $3.3 million, his former club in Japan in the NPB would have to then get a small percentage of that. If that's the difference between 350000 500000 and $20 million, there's a big incentive to keep the old system in place, at least for one more offseason. Yeah, so this is a lot of weeds here, but I'm going to pull it back to 30,000 feet. The Twins have a real shot at him 
if he has interest in playing for the Twins, which, you know, that'll all play out in the next several weeks. And they have openings in the spots that would be ideal because if you're going to experiment with both, if he's going to be a pitcher and also wants to continue maybe the, the dream of being a hitter, you could obviously do that in the National League by just hitting once every five days whenever you pitch. In the American League, you could kind of take that plan and ramp up the volume on it because yes. you could be a DH two or three times a week or or every day that you're not starting, um, and you wouldn't have to play a position to get your bat in the lineup more often because I don't think you'd want a guy pitching, hitting, and playing in the field like four other days. I think you'd want him to be DHing, and the Twins have openings in the rotation and really with their DH spot. It's not like Kenny Vargas did anything last year where you said, right. all right, yeah, we've got to keep this guy around to be the – the 600 plate appearance DH. If you were his advisor, Phil, good longtime friend from Japan, a good understanding of Major League Baseball and the way to not only make money, but how to just have a successful career and the things that you want to do, what would you suggest for him, AL or NL? Um, I, 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 I don't want to get stuck in this. Well, you got to pick one or you, you got to pick hitting or pitching because that's the way it's always been for 100 years and it's going to be too much on you. I I would I would allow him to do as much of both as possible if that's what brings him to the United States and uh, and he's good enough at both to maybe give it a shot. I mean, if he's putting up crazy numbers in in both realms, so if I were advising him, I would tell him American League because obviously you can pitch, um, but then you might get a chance to hit as a designated hitter three or four times a week depending on pitching matchups. Now, obviously, on the days you pitch, you wouldn't be hitting. But um, in the National League, you'd have to find an outfield or first base position on the days you aren't pitching. Mm-hmm. So if you want his bat in the lineup on, on a more than once every five days basis, he'd have to play in the American League. But if you just want his bat like Madison Bumgarner's a, a good hitting pitcher but not a good hitter overall, um, you could go that route. So I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends on our team's open-minded right. to letting him try both. And from his perspective, we're talking cultural changes to come here from from Japan. We're talking uh, language barriers and also having to scout American pitchers and hitters if you're going to do both. So that's a lot to take on. But honestly, I would see how far down that road you could go because if you could get all of that from one guy on your roster, right. think about how versatile your team is all well, of a sudden. I know, and that's one thing that's interesting. If this is a $300 million gamble, i got to be honest. He ain't playing an inning in the outfield, even in spring training. Mm-hmm. As a team, I'm protecting that investment. Not to say that you'll take a bigger risk and play him in a corner outfield spot in the National League just to get his bat in the lineup more often, just just because he'll probably make whatever, $3 million next year, $4 million. It's, it's a lot less money on the table to risk it. Maybe you'd consider it. If I'm Otani, I'm not sure that I want that. I think that focusing on two things as complicated and separated as they are, hitting and pitching, would already be enough without having to worry about cutting off balls in the gap, throwing to the cutoff guy, yeah. saving my legs, things like that. I, I wouldn't want to focus on that. So I would advise American League, say you start one day, rest the next day, DH, DH, DH. Start, or rest. Even, even pinch hit. Like- sure. Yeah, just he's a available bat. To bat. Have. Yeah, an available bat. But so, so the reason I didn't, I don't want to title this episode like three reasons why Otani would choose the Twins is because everything I'm about to say is just like rumor and innuendo. But I've seen them in reports, from Buster Olney's blog, Joel Sherman piecing together some stuff from the Associated Press, and it's what's got me so intrigued about 
Otani the last couple of days, really. I mean, sort of been a fascination of mine. Like, mm, is this possible? And, and we also don't know. This is a whole other episode, sure. but like, we don't know what Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are capable of doing in terms of their aggressiveness. Right. Terry Ryan was one of the more conservative, close to the vest. Don't go out there and spend it. Like, he, he made the big splash for for Ricky Nolasco. But in general, you pretty much knew predictably what Terry Ryan was or wasn't going to do in the offseason. We don't know what these guys. We don't, these guys, they, could they go after a U Darvish if the, maybe if the bidding comes down a little bit and we're not talking about $160 million on a, on a five- or six-year deal? Like, that, wouldn't sh- that would shock me unconscious if, if Terry Ryan were the GM. That's right. I don't know what to expect with these guys. These yeah. guys could be much more aggressive. If Terry Ryan signed you Darvish for four years and ninety million dollars, I would look for my alarm clock. If Falvey did it, I'd be like, "Oh, all right, no. well." The I mean, Indians they, made some couple big signings yeah, here. They, and there. Yeah, I thought the price came into their range, and I, I guess they had long term money to spend. Okay, mm-hmm. and also. Like, let's go, buckle up. Twins coverage is about to get a little bit more important around 1500ESPN.com. Maybe four podcasts a week instead of just two. But uh, so all of these things that I want to bring up about Otani, and it's interesting. Listen, I'm not reporting this, and I'm not even saying Dude, that you what I'm about to anything. say just is be, factual. Be reckless. Who cares? No, I do have to couch be this. Be reckless. Because it's already reckless that this stuff is even out there, that it's basically just hearsay based on speculation, based on rumor, based on innuendo. And if anybody really knows this, they haven't come forward and said it. But piecing together a couple of reports, it's interesting that in Buster Olney's piece for ESPN.com a couple of days ago, he mentioned that Otani is believed to prefer a rebuilding team as opposed to a ready-made contender. That's interesting to me. Less pressure. Maybe, but you can kind of be like the guy that's sort of, I don't know if it's like a hero thing, but based on a couple of interviews I've seen with him for a really young guy, I don't think like egomania is a big problem based on the humility he displayed in a couple of different interviews. With he also apparently rides like team issued cabs and yeah. he doesn't spend money on anything. Saw that. And so a, maybe it doesn't come down to finances because the difference between $3 million and $300 million is a massive one, and he might not care. He might just disregard that and play in the United States this year. That would say something to me. Secondly, we should also say he's probably going to make a lot of money on endorsements if he's as good as we think he is or the numbers say he is and uh, some various, whether it's scouts or even just writers talking to scouts, say he is. He's going to make a lot of money beyond just his salary. So fair to point that out. But the fact that he would prefer to not be in a ready-made winner situation, that's is interesting to me. Like the Twins get bonus points for being competitive enough to be even mentioned in this conversation, and then they get additional bonus points for not being good enough to go to the World Series last year. It, that sort of boggles my mind, but that might be where we're at with this one. Another one, you mentioned it at the jump, we're not sure. I don't know. Does he want to be a pitcher who hits? Does he want to be a hitter who maybe does, I don't know, maybe he pitches every once in a while? Or does he want to pick one? And would there be any teams willing to allow him to do both? I wouldn't be surprised if the Twins were one of the teams that would be willing to do that. They talked about it a lot yeah, if, in regard to Hunter Green at the top of last year's draft. If position flexibility is becoming one of the, the premium focuses of front offices, I mean, the Cubs won a World Series with... 
you know, Chris Bryant played four positions that year, and Javier Baez can play anywhere in the infield, yeah. and, and they can move guys around. Ben Zobrist. Let's take that to another level. A guy who can pitch and who's really good, you know, a, a, as a bat, or maybe you could put him in the field. One thing I have been hearing a lot of today since we brought this up on our radio show, and well, the last time the Twins, well, I've, I've heard two things. One, the last time the Twins went to Japan and signed a guy, look what happened, Nishioka. And then, like, a step beyond that, which is more racist, is the guy who says, well, it's all these Asian players, you know, the, the Twins signed, well, referring to Korean Byung-ho Park, mm. which those are different nationalities. Let's not lump everybody into the same category here. Also different baseball leagues. Like, Correct. Like, uh, uh, right. right. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but I would I would point to the scouting process. Whatever the Twins' process was for scouting Siyoshi Nishioka was clearly flawed because of how he turned out. But um, they just they weren't really looking enough beneath the surface. They weren't considering his inflated batting average on balls in play that led to his fluke season as a batting champion in the uh, in the Japanese Pacific League. So like the Twins didn't recognize the fluky nature of Nishioka's pop up season the year before he became available to major league teams. And so it was a misread. You know, I, you know it's possible that teams are misreading Otani in some way and getting sure. caught up in hype. We don't know. Uh, at least you don't have to make a $50 million mistake on the guy right now. Sure. But to just say that because the Twins whiffed on Nishioka that, well, why would you want to get involved again? Well, that's ignoring the fact that you Darvish, despite the World Series struggles, has been one of the best pitchers in baseball the last five years. Yeah. That Masahiro Tanaka has been mostly a wild success for the Yankees in a small ballpark. Uh, Iwakuma, uh, Kenta Maeda, like I could keep... Junichi Zawa. Right. There are very good players that come over here from Japan. The Twins just whiffed on one of them. They got a bad one. And And then that front office got fired. (laughs) And the scouts that... That scouted Nishioka. I feel like this isn't even worth spending time on to say, like, one player didn't succeed and therefore success is impossible. You're right, but it is a prevailing thought. I don't know what percentage, but it is, like, casual Twins fan thinks, oh, another Japanese guy coming over. Man, I hope not, but... Oh, oh, it's bad. It is bad. Maybe it's just, like, I'm on Twitter too much and see some dumb responses from people. And I'd like to think that the audience of this podcast... Yeah, is beyond that level of, of basic level dumb thinking. So I think that I think that the touch them all listeners, I'll give them a lot of credit here. I think that based on feedback and, and interactions I've had, whether it's on my email newsletter or on my Facebook page or just on Twitter, and, and you can you can draw a line. There are Twins fans who, you know, whether they just don't like podcasts or specifically don't like you or don't like me or don't like both then this probably isn't the podcast for them. And then there's the line of people who are like, yeah, I listen a lot. And this isn't an ego gratification thing. I'm just saying that that second pool, touch them all listeners, tends to just be, even if I disagree with points, tends to be much more well thought out, have much better reasoning behind some of their arguments, even if we disagree, and I just think is a cut above. So maybe it's maybe it's worth spending time on on Twitter, but I think that's more of the lowest common denominator. Yeah, that's why we waited 22 minutes to even okay. to bring the Nishioka thing up because it's like, yeah. So it's I will say that it's possible that he's not going to be a superstar. And then that's a real conversation if you're looking to spend $250 million on a guy that you're not convinced is it. If you're looking for a one-year minor league contract for $3.25 million, I think it would be crazy not to be right. Have it, to not even have a seat at that table. Um, so I think just in regard to like 
Hunter Green being mentioned among one of the top draft picks last year, and there was talk, well, would the Twins, who have the number one overall pick, would they allow him to play shortstop and pitch? And my sense is that the Twins are open-minded to it, that maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't work, but that the Twins wouldn't flatly, at least in my perception, Phil, tell me if I'm wrong on this, they wouldn't flatly turn it down and be like, well, no, we haven't had guys hit and pitch in a while, therefore... No hitting or pitching, take your pick, Hunter Green. I, I don't think it was going to be that sort of situation. I think maybe eventually over time it plays out that, hey, he's either a shortstop or he's a pitcher, and you just have to run with that. But I don't think that, frankly, most teams near the top of the draft would flat out turn that down as even a possibility, not even entertain the notion. Uh, we got to wrap this in a couple minutes, but I have – Two stats of the week for you. Stats of the week. This week. Uh, related to the Gold Glove Awards okay. uh, that the Twins raked in. And uh, this week's stats of the week is going to be powered by Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard here in the Twin Cities. And uh, my good friends and people at Luther are telling me that you can get into a brand new, state of the art, new technology on the interior, 2018 Camry. Or 2018 RAV4, which is the most durable and one of the most popular SUVs in the world, for $199 a month with a reasonable down payment. So if you're um, in the market for a new vehicle, maybe someone's birthday or a holiday is coming up here and you want to surprise somebody with an awesome gift, why don't you go in, see my friends, find out why my family and I have been going to the same place for, uh, I don't know, about 30-plus years or so. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Crafty Rogues podcast. The standout for England is their captain, a young attacking midfielder called Philip Foden. Is he at Liverpool? No, he's at Manchester City, and he looks awfully good. The England have the England team look good. They have done very well in the last couple of years at, lot, at age, age level. Yeah. 17s, 19s, 20s, But then 20s, they won't 21s. get on the Premier League team. This is my question. The though. demands of the Premier League are instant results. Who's the best players that are available right now? There's no nurturing of oh, so players. Then what is the benefit? <clears throat> Clearly the England development system is working. But what are they getting out of it? They're getting trophies at youth level. But you're saying as long as the Premier League remains a repository of overseas wealth, it's going to be overseas players who are more likely to so get So they're going to have to go to the MLS, and lucky us will get to see them. All right, fair enough. We'll see. Fair enough. You can find The Crafty Rogues on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today. Phil, before we get into Stat of the Week, two stats of the week? Uh, two, two stats, stats of, the of the week that sort of play off each other. Before yes. we get into two stats of the week to wrap the Touch Mall podcast, I just want to point out, not that this means anything. I have no idea. Again, I'm just recklessly speculating. The last couple of seasons where Otani played in the MPB was in Hokkaido, and I have no idea if I'm saying that right. He tried very well. It's it? considered by, I think, just by whatever, Americans who travel there, the Minnesota of Japan. It's like this northern, hmm. always cold, not saying, I'm just saying, there's constantly this debate that comes up, and I think it matters in the NBA. I think it matters zero in Major League Baseball, which, well... If you have equal offers and one of them is in Oklahoma City and the other is in Los Angeles, 
And you can live in SoCal in the sun and soak it up all. Why wouldn't you choose? You know, why wouldn't you choose Miami or or Orlando or Los Angeles? Now I think that thinking sort of bleeds over into baseball a little bit, which like, oh well, of course you're going to choose New York City, or like if you're gonna have to be buried and stuck in the godforsaken Midwest, at least choose Chicago. I don't think that matters. Minneapolis is a great city for six months of the year, weather-wise. You get to you can enjoy live it. wherever you want in the in the offseason for you, sure. You can live wherever you want in the summer too, but like it does make it complicated playing every day. But Minneapolis is beautiful in the summer during basically the whole baseball season, and Target Field is one of the best stadiums in Major League Baseball. So this this sort of weird inferiority complex that I think is fair to exist in the NBA. Uh, the opposite is true in hockey. You'd rather play in Minnesota. But I think it's, it's even weird. like in the NBA. I think it's even uh, at least in baseball. You know, you're you're playing every day, and so you're genuinely like you're, you're there. Staying, you're, yeah. you're in the city. Uh, but in the NBA, you're you know, there's you're you're constantly traveling around to warm weather cities, anyways, and. Uh, and I, it's, yeah, I'm with you. Like don't, in general, don't let it's our just, belief yeah. that we are flyover country allow the perception to project onto everybody else and say, no one would ever want to live here since this is flyover country. That doesn't exist. Uh, Stats of the week here. So Brian Dozier and Byron Buxton both won gold gloves earlier this week. Joe Maurer got snubbed before the finalists. But uh, so I think we'll start with salty about that. I'm over it now. But actually, actually at first I thought, you know, Dozier got the gold glove award, probably mostly due to offensive performance, which I don't. I don't love that, but then I and I think that's the prevailing the prevailing thought that he's not the best defensive second baseman. He's pretty good and makes some good quality yeah. plays. Only yeah. made five errors, and so if you hit it to him, he's going to make the play. I did some more digging on this, and here's stat of the week number one. Okay, and this is this is why Brian Dozier absolutely deserved to be right there in the mix for the American League second base Gold Glove Award. He made more out of zone plays than any second baseman in the league. So he was not only was he great on balls hit to him in terms of only five errors being made, which I think that should be just a small part of your defensive profile. He made more plays, rangy plays, out-of-zone plays than any second baseman in the league. And so there's a flash factor when you watch him play. Yeah, there definitely. Uh, there's a steadiness factor. Did he prevent the most runs according to defensive runs saved or UZR? No, he didn't. Guys like D. Gordon in the National League and, yeah. um, and, and other players were better just in terms of saving runs. But I think flash and out of zone that should factor in as well and so Brian Dozier sure. was very good in that category. I've always had a problem with this stat and and I don't know if it's just because I'm too counterculture but like are you like trying to be a contrarian when one is not needed but like does out of zone is that still a human tracking that and measuring it or are they saying like where like here's a grid placed over the field where did he field it I think it's the grid. So that's a so problem for me because like he could be standing over the top of second base get a candy hop ground ball hit right to his chest, make the out at first, and get extra credit for sure. that. Sure. Well, or, I should add... field a ground ball in short right field. Inside edge had him among the top five in low percentage plays made. Okay. So good. he was he was very good making low percentage plays. So that sort of then year. tracks. And yeah. and just if you then use the eye test, it's those things where you know he'll go make a ranging play to his left, lay out sprawling to stop it, get up and make the throw to first base. I'm not one who says Brian Dozier is a bad defensive second baseman. I think he's pretty good. He is, too. If you go back to the beginning of 2014, so the last four full seasons, 
Only one second baseman in baseball has been worth more wins above replacement, Jose Altuve, okay. who's going to the Hall of Fame. Okay. He's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, nobody at second base has hit more home runs than Brian Dozier. Yep. So he's been rock solid. Yep. They might have a decision to make on what they want to do with him contractually. Uh, stat of the week number two, Byron Buxton, gold glove. Pretty legit, best defensive center fielder in the game. Sure. Kiermaier comes back next year, so that'll be a fun back-and-forth race for the gold glove. His defensive run saved was plus 24. So I'm going to give you two little uh, like like part A, part B stats of the week. Wow. He was 42 runs better than Dexter Fowler, who is a World Series winning center fielder two years ago with the Chicago Cubs, and 50 runs better than Denard Spann, the wow. center fielder for the Giants. Now I want you to take those numbers and just, if you're trying to wrap your head around you know these plus-minus defensive numbers, let's just say that a plus 24 and that's compared to the average center fielder. If you take that plus 24 and just pretend like it's runs scored instead or RBIs, Byron Buxton, if you tack on those those plus 24 runs saved in center field, would have scored 93 runs as a hitter slash base runner to go along with 16 home runs and a batting average that was on the climb. Like just his impact with the glove, you can see it with the eye test, but over the course of six months compared to our old friend Denard Spann, who's aging, he's in his 30s now, a 50-run difference between those two guys on balls hit to center field. Well, and, and that's why the Giants lost 90-plus games in, in part. I think one of the fun things for Twins fans over these next couple of years is going to be, what was the number? How many runs would he have scored if you add the 24? 93. What's going to be interesting is when he doesn't have three awful months at the plate looking like a Rochester Red Wing, and if you say, all right, yeah, Buxton scored 110 runs this year. But if you add his defensive run saved, that would have been more like 140. Yeah, and that's, obviously, that's like, amazing. like, it's it's just apples to oranges, too, because your run scored, if you get on first base and someone hits a ball in the gap, like, or if you're if you're on third base or something, it depends. You don't get full credit for every run you score in, right. the, in the run creation right. uh, web. Right. So. Um, I also think that, Buxton's going to score from first more often for than, sure. oh, than yeah. most of those guys. Ground out to short, Buxton scores from yeah, first it's base. it's ridiculous. Uh, there's a lot of value there, and it's one of the reasons that even when he was awful, I was I tried to keep banging the hype drum saying, all right, I'm a little more cautious about this, yeah. but there's something there, you guys. So let's let's wrap with this. Uh, if, if We're into hot stove season. we got our sweater game going strong today. Uh, we're by the, we're by the, the crackling... Uh, fireplace right now, just speculating on Twins offseason stuff. If you have thoughts on topics we should tackle, even just partial episodes, send them, to, uh, send them let's just say, on Twitter. Yeah, at, Twitter's good. At Derek Wetmore and at Phil Mackey, and we'll put them in our uh, our topic bank for the offseason for the Touch Mall podcast. Awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.